You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Cripple Content Creations and Podcast Jukebox present Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability, sexuality, and everything in between. This is a show that started out only talking about sex and disability. It was a podcast that was dedicated to exploring the ins and outs of sex and disability because we don't talk about that hardly at all. But as the show has grown, I realized that Disability After Dark could shine a light on so many other things about disability we don't talk about, and that was really exciting. So, now, this show is a show that will shine a light on the experience of disability, whether we're talking about sexuality, accessibility, or anything and everything in between. Come shine a bright light on all things disability with me, your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. The podcast shining a bright light on disability, sexuality, and everything in between. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store, for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie if you want for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item. So you get one free item for penis havers, one free item for vulva havers, one free item for couples, and then you also get six free movies from the AdamEve.com website. You can get your favorite porn or an educational film. I love free movies. They're so awesome. This is such a great deal. And then, on top of that, you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So, to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to AdamEve.com. 
you're going to go to checkout and you're going to type in dark pod. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout. And you're going to get one item, almost anything in the store at 50% off. And then you're going to get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free as part of your offer. This is such a great deal. And this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners. And I hope you run over to AdamEve.com and take advantage of it right now. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Well, hello there, friends. Welcome to a brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability, sexuality, and everything in between. My name is Andrew Gerza, I am your disabled dicksmith, and welcome to the show. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled, and get this show started. First things first, as always, I want to give a shout out to some of the people that support this show and keep this show going, and let's do that right now. I want to give a shout out to some of my new patrons today, and they are... Let me find them for you, because I just, they just signed on the other day. Let me, I did not prepare for this properly. Let me get it right now. They are, we have someone named Reasoned Traveler. I like that moniker, Reasoned Traveler. Just pledged $1 a month to keep the light shining on the show. And Reasoned Traveler, my pun for you is you... Picked a great reason to travel on over to my website and to my, sorry, to the Patreon at Disability After, I, well, let's try this again. Reasoned Traveler, you picked a great reason to travel on over to my Patreon at patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge dollar a month. Thanks, Reason Traveler. Did that pun work? I'm not sure, but thanks for thanks so much for pledging. If you want to pledge, you can go to that website, patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge $1 a month to get the show a day early and a weird, awkward pun for me. Or you can pledge $5 a month and build a show with me. There are some of you that have pledged $5 a month that I need you to email me and remind, remind me of what you want to build a show about because I'd like to honor that for you. So you need to email me at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and let me know what you want to build a show about. So... Do that, please, and thank you all so much for pledging. Thanks, friends. Let's get the show started. On the episode today, I am really excited about this one because this is an interview with somebody that I really respect out of Toronto. I get to stand with my friend, activist, and um, all-around badass, my friend, Leslie Lee Cam, who is an elder in our community who is a, a Trini, Dyke, Brown, differently abled woman. She refers to herself as differently abled, so we talk about that. We talk about her experiences, how she became differently abled, what that means for her, why that's important, her experiences trying to navigate queerness as a differently abled senior, trying to get laid, wanting to get laid, wanting to embark on all this, but dealing with ableism as a differently abled senior. So we have a really important talk about that, and we, we talk about some of the issues that queer seniors face, 
as well. And I thought it was a really important episode, and I was really excited to bring it to you. We recorded it in my home studio a few weeks ago. Leslie came over, brought me some donuts, and we had a chat, which we recorded. So I'm super excited for you to hear that. Um, Leslie Lee Cam is somebody you should all be paying attention to because she's a queer elder, and she also works with a program here in Toronto called the Youth Elder Project, which puts young queer people and old queer people together to discuss kind of the, the differences in their lives, and I was so excited to bring her on the show to talk about her experiences being a queer senior, and I wanted to share that with you, so I'm going to stop rambling. I'm always really bad at these intros, and I was rambling a lot, so I'm going to play the interview now, and I really hope you enjoy it, because I sure did. Here's my interview with Leslie Lee Cam right now on Disability After Dark. Leslie Lee Cam, hello. Hi, Andrew. Thank you for having me, and I'm at your place. It's so great to have you here. And if you're listening, audience, and you're like, why is there a weird delay? It's because we're doing it. <laughs> we're doing it in my apartment today, and I'm here with Leslie Lee Cam who is my guest, and we're doing it face-to-face, but we only have the one mic, so we're passing my my mic back and forth to each other <laughs> trying to have this conversation. So if you're wondering why we sound like we're there's a bit of a delay, that's why there's a delay today. But, Leslie Lee Cam, I'm so excited to have you here today and have you on the show. It's been months in the Thank making. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time and coming to my studio today. Um... Why don't you, I'd love for you to start by introducing yourself and telling us who you are and what you do. Okay. Thanks, Andrew. It's always a treat to see you in person. Um, So who am I? I am a world-majority brown, trini, carib, Indo-Chinese, differently-abled queer dyke, and I came to Toronto in 1970. And here we are now in 2019. At some point, you're going to figure out how old I am. (laughs) And the reason why I'm on uh, disability after dark is because I am differently abled now. I became differently abled in 2007. So I also have to look at the privilege I have in terms of being differently abled. I use a cane now and a walker when I have to walk long distances. And my life has changed completely since becoming differently abled. I have so many questions for you about that, Leslie. First being, um, you use the term a lot differently able that I know from working with you. We've done workshops together where like, and I know from just being your friend, that's your preferred terminology. And that in, in many disability spaces, that's a term that people are really bristly about and it, it makes them uncomfortable. And I'm curious if you could if you could illuminate for us what is what does that term mean for you and why is that a term that you use for yourself? Okay. The reason I use that term was because somebody who was disabled told me that that was a preferred term for myself. Because I wasn't born with a disability, I was um, completely able-bodied until I was in a coma 
in uh, 2007. And the reason I was in a coma was because of alcohol poisoning, which went back to a depression that I was in because I was an out dyke in my workplace and I was an out brown dyke. And a situation happened in the workplace where my lovely white uh, lesbian feminist sisters threw me under the bus and turfed me out of my job and I started drinking to cope with depression. And as a result of drinking so much alcohol, I had alcohol poisoning and I went into a coma for two months. I got up from the coma, I awoke, because here I am today, and I was a vegetable. And I had to learn how to be a human being all over again with a lot of physio and occupational therapy. And that's when I started um I was in a wheelchair for five months, so that totally changed my perspective on the world and gave me a lot more empathy for people who were in wheelchairs. I mean, I was empathetic before, but since I was in that situation, it made a a big difference for me. And then I had to use a cane because I lost my sense of balance. And... A friend of mine who is disabled said to me, well, you were not born with a disability. It's an acquired disability that you have. So there's a term out there that's differently abled. So that's why I started using that term because I didn't want to use my privilege to put somebody else down or to make it less than for somebody who is disabled. So that's why I use that term because I can walk around in my home without using my cane because I know my my surroundings are familiar, whereas some people must use their cane all the time or they must use their wheelchair all the time. So that's why I use that term. No disrespect to anybody with a disability. Thank you. And I, I, I love the way you've you've worded that because I think... When it comes to disability language, we are so fiercely connected to our own terminology. And when somebody says like, oh, I use differently able or I use handicapped or this is my term, we get really offended for them. And to hear you explain why you use certain terms, it's like when I say to people in my work, I use the word cripple. And this is what I this is what I'm choosing to use when I do that. People are like, oh, no, when I explain to them what it means for me and why it's an important moniker, they realize. So I really appreciate that you took the time to kind of explain that to us and explain that to an audience. Also, you're, you know, you're a, you're a brown Trini dyke, as you say. Um, and so with that language, too, like much like how I use cripple, is that language for you something that you do to like with dyke and with like. Are those empowering terms for you? Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Uh, As soon as I open my mouth, you know that I'm a Trini. (laughs) And you hear my accent. I just want to be very clear that everybody has an accent. Because the miscon, (laughs) You have a retort to that. (laughs) I'm I'm curious then. So, So I'm curious because I, because of my white privilege, I don't think I have an accent. When you listen to my voice, then as a white person, as me with me as a white person, what, how does what does that accent sound like to you? To me, you sound like a 
somebody with a Canadian accent. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which, which is kind of weird because I was not born in Canada. So that, so I guess I've I guess I've acclimated. I guess I'm Canadian now. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason why I say everybody has an accent is because what happens is when you don't sound like the mainstream white culture, immediately people assume that you're a person of color because you don't speak like North American people who were born here speak. And I have fallen into a trap although <laughs> because sometimes I'm speaking to somebody on the phone and I hear a Canadian accent and I assume that person is white. And I have many friends who are people of color who are born here <laughs> who have Canadian <laughs> accents. So yeah, so uh, it's really important for you to know that I'm a Trini and also that I'm a world majority person because the federal government coined a term visible minority. It was actually a front page headline yesterday in the Metro newspaper that visible minority people are having a hard time getting housing and getting jobs. We are not visible minorities. The majority of people in the world right now are people of color. So please claim that status, world majority people. And I am brown because it's important for me to say that because I have a lot of privilege being brown versus my friends who are black. So I also have to acknowledge that. And I use uh, different identifiers so you know that I'm Chinese because that's part of my Trini culture, my heritage my racial heritage, and I'm Carib, uh, the Caribs and the Arawaks, uh, the indigenous people of the Caribbean, and I'm Indo. Indo comes from indentured. So in uh, the West Indies, when slavery was abolished, indentured laborers were brought over from India, and my great-great-grandparents were indentured laborers from India. And I'm a dyke, and I'm reclaiming that word. Yes. Yes, dyke was a bad word way back when. However, I would, you know, I am also very respectful. I, I identify as queer also, but I'm very respectful when I work with LGBTQ, uh, 2SLGBTQ seniors that I do not call them dykes. I do not use the word queer because those words are very negative words having to deal with people who have been oppressed and police brutality when you are identifying as a dyke way back when. And nowadays, a lot of the younger population are identifying as queer. And I don't think they even realize the history of that word. So language is being reclaimed, like, Andrew, you have reclaimed the word crip. Yeah, and uh, but... I would I get much like you. I, if somebody says to me, "Hey, crip or, crip or cripple" is a word that I don't like, mm-hmm. I won't put it on them. It's not my place to expect they like it. That's for me to reclaim it for me, and I would only ever do it for me. Or, you know, if somebody that I'm spending time with or, or mm-hmm. fucking around with, if, if I want them to see who I am, I'll say like, "Hey, call me cripple. Call me this." Like, if mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with them, to get them comfortable with the idea that this is who I am. Mm-hmm. But I would never put it on another disabled person. I do want to, and thank you so much for, for kind of sharing all of that with us. It's so important that we remember that. We remember all of the, all of our, all parts of our lives 
intersect and we, it's important that we talk about mm-hmm. that. So thanks for, for doing that, Leslie. I want to, I do want to talk to you about, I have so much I want to talk to you about, but <laughs> one of the first things I want to talk to you about is your kind of history becoming disabled. So you kind of, you started sharing that story a little bit. Could you go deeper into how you became disabled and, and what kind of how, like what happened and how that felt for you? Well, as I said, I was in a coma and I lost 30 pounds. I was 100 pounds uh, when I went into the coma. And when I came out of the coma, I weighed 70 pounds and I was in a vegetative state. So I ended up at uh, Bridgepoint Hospital, which is a major rehab hospital. And I had to have, you know, major physio and occupational therapy to bring me back. And I was in a wheelchair, and at one point they thought that I was going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. So that changed my mindset immediately. What, what was your what what was your like before all this happened to you? Like, okay, let's back up a little bit because there's, mm. there's so much good shit here we can mine. <laughs> what was your the viewpoint of disabled people before you became differently abled? Oh, I mean, I had, to me, people with disabilities are just like everybody else, except they have all kinds of challenges that they have to face in the world. And when I said that my mindset changed, it was more like, how am I going to live in my house? How am I going to access, you know, going to the bathroom, even getting up the stairs? What was my life going to be like in terms of accessibility and housing? And... Yeah, and when did this when did this happen to you? When what year what year did this happen? Oh, this was in uh, two thousand and seven, January two thousand and seven to July two thousand and seven. Okay, so it wasn't that long ago, but but there was a fear of like what's going to happen to me, mm-hmm. and I think that's important. People that people know me, like maybe you're not so you're not maybe it isn't maybe the ableism isn't so much about. I'm afraid of disabled people. Mm-hmm. When it happens to you, it's like, how's my life going to change? Mm-hmm. And things like going to the bathroom, getting in your house, doing all the stuff that you probably took for granted before it happened to you, and now you're trying to figure out how to do it. So I think that discussion is important. And yeah, if you could tell us more about that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I talked about privilege, because when I was at Bridgepoint, I was forced to become independent in terms of using my wheelchair. Because there you have to learn how to get in and out of the wheelchair by yourself. You have to go to the bathroom by yourself. Even though there are PSWs on staff, they make you um, learn how to do things yourself. And it was really tricky sometimes. And then uh, because the physio was working so well and I had been in really great physical shape prior to the coma, they were really surprised at how well my body was responding. So the side effect was using a walker. So after coming out of the wheelchair, I started using a walker. And then my mind was more at ease because then I realized I could negotiate getting in and out of my home and getting around more easily. Now, the question that I have... And again, sorry if the audio is weird, listeners. Sorry if, if, if it's a bit clunky. But um, the question I have for you, Leslie, is like, when you transitioned from wheelchair to walker, did you 
Did you feel, because you were in a rehab space and you were, like, getting rehabilitated, quote, did you feel like if you transferred from, or transitioned from wheelchair to walker, that you would be more normal? Was that, Did that ever cross your mind? Was that a part of the, your thought process? Um, no, it didn't have, it never for me was about being normal or not like the rest of the population. For me, it was always access. Because even while I was in the wheelchair at I, at Bridgepoint, I was in the old hospital. So when you had to go to the bathroom at night, if you didn't wet the bed, you had to get get yourself into your wheelchair and then wheel yourself almost half of a city block to get to the washrooms. So there were no commodes on the side of the bed. You had to get into the chair. So for me, getting into the walker was more independence, not having to depend on somebody yeah. else yeah. to help me. And I know you can relate to that, Andrew. Definitely. My experience in the in the washroom and needing help with that stuff has been, oh, it's been a shit show, literally. Um, um, so I definitely can relate to that. And so, so did and so did you feel when when you finally went home and started living your life again? How was access for you? So one of the things that, uh, again, talking about privilege and being at Bridgepoint, there's a program there where they come to your home before you actually go home and they check the access in your home. And because I was at the point of using a walker and a cane, they, when they came to my home, they checked to see whether I could go up and down the stairs on my own, which I couldn't. So there was a program which helped me to install a chairlift. And then they put in grab bars for me. And one of the grab bars is on my front porch at the top of my stairs, which is a huge help. And I have a handrail. So again, my life changed that way. So in my bathroom, I have a, a bench in the shower. I have the handheld shower. I had uh, recently, um, last year, when I got enough money, I did this cutout in the tub so I don't have to step over to get into the tub. And so everything has changed in the bathroom. And in the rest of the house, I have grab bars in different places. And how, like, how does that, how do all those things give you more independence? Well, I don't have to depend on people. For example, when I'm coming home with groceries, I don't have to wait to ask the neighbor to help me to get stuff into the house, which I had to do before. And going up and down the stairs when I had to have home care, I don't need that help anymore. There are times sometimes when the chairlift isn't working, and that's really hard on me going up and down the stairs on my behind. Because I don't have a railing on the stairs anymore. So you do like you do like like you do like a, a bum. Yeah. <laughs> I used to do that as a kid. It's hard. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever have moments when within this whole transition from being quote unquote not disabled and not differently able mm-hmm. to to being differently able? Do you ever have moments where you're just mad? Yeah, and actually one of the things I'm angry about is people's perception in our lovely uh, queer communities. Oh, 
Yes, because you've been asking me how I have been viewing myself, you know, being differently abled. And what pisses me off, and I know you feel the same way, Andrew, is how people see us when we are disabled and differently abled. It's like we are no longer real people. We are not normal. They have decided what is normal and what is not normal. And we are no longer sexual beings. So as soon as you're in a chair or you're using a cane or a walker, you're not a sexual being. You've told me... You've told me a number of times your experiences at clubs and your experiences trying to be in the community. Can you share with the audience some of those times when you're out there with your cane and when you're trying to mm. navigate queerness? How to share some share any stories you have or just tell me how it feels to be in the community mm. when trying to be differently abled with your cane or with with whatever mobility devices you need that day. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to let you have it. Actually, uh, a friend of mine who makes buttons just made a button for me. I don't know if Andrew saw it when I came in. It says, single and ready to mingle. So I have not had any physical intimacy with another human being in 21 years. And the re <laughs> I'm I'm really good with being intimate with myself by myself. <laughs> Masturbation is fun. Um, <laughs> at least some of us can do it. I know some of us can't. <laughs> and uh, so what I discovered after I started using a cane um, is that you you're not even worthy of being approached as somebody who is attractive or appealing or is considered to be bedworthy. So I, I went to a slow dance, the queer slow dance, in I think it was uh, 2010 when they first started. And I went with a friend of mine, and we were well-dressed, we were clean, we were smelling good, looking good, and my friend kept being us to dance. And she was black. And it was a mostly a white crowd, but nobody was asking me to dance. So I had a conversation with her, and I said to her, I bet you if I hide my cane, I will get some action. And sure enough, I hid the cane, and women started asking me to dance. And that is what it's been like ever since. The you gave me so much to unpack there, Leslie. I don't I don't really know where to go. First of all, I have known you for like five or six years. I didn't know you haven't gotten, you haven't been able to be intimate with somebody for, what did you, 20, 21, 21, years. Well, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, first of all, you, that, that you're, you're a fucking trooper. Cause I, I can't, <laughs> mm -hmm. I get annoyed when I can't do that for, couple weeks mm -hmm. i couldn't imagine <laughs> shit <laughs> how does that and then do you see so do you feel when people when you had to hide your cane and people were, were coming up to you and saying oh let's dance did you feel scared that you'd have to come out to them yeah i had to come out to them with using a cane <laughs> who knew that coming out with using a cane you know is constantly coming out in different ways um the last uh queer slow dance that I went to was at the Gladstone 
and that was uh, three years ago, and I did the same thing. I hit the cane, and I was being asked to dance. But when there's a fast song that comes on because of my problem with my balance, I need my cane. So Lily is my cane that I go out dancing with. All my canes have names. So Lily is my dancing cane. Who did you bring in the studio? Who did you bring in the studio today? Uh, today in the studio is Robin, who is my everyday <laughs> cane. So at the Gladstone, this is what happened. So I was slow dancing with this woman, and we were having a really nice time. So they play three songs in a row that are slow. And so we danced for the three songs, and then a fast song came on. And I said, would you like to dance to this song? And she said, sure. I said, could you wait a minute? I just have to go and get something. And I went and I got my cane, and I came back, and you should have seen the look on her face. And she says, oh, my God, you use a cane, and you can dance? You know how to dance? <laughs> As if, as if, like, as if you couldn't dance just because you have a cane. Like, wow, that's so, that, like, if anyone is wondering what romantic ableism or sexual Mm -hmm. ableism looks like, Mm -hmm. that's what it is right there. We can still do stuff, or maybe we can't, but the assumption that you would just think I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. It's like when people ask us, you can drink? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I I can. Mm -hmm. I just choose not to. Mm -hmm. Um, Um... Wow. Do you so it's been 21 years then and I I want to I want to ask you about this. Do you feel do you want to have sex with another person or have you reached a point now where you're like oh it's too much like because of all the ableism you've experienced and all the the way people treat you when you try to engage do you feel like cuz sometimes I feel like oh fuck it's not worth it like I'll just be alone and it's fine. Do you feel that way too or do you feel do you want to try to meet somebody to mess around with? Well, I really like necking. <laughs> really and truly, I like necking and heavy petting. <laughs> you know, the, the Carol Pope song <laughs> makes me cream my jeans. <laughs> this is talking about sex and disability, right? So, yes, I. what I miss the most, Andrew, is the physical intimacy. It doesn't have to be sex. But necking and petting leads to sex. That's great. But what else has happened to me is that now that I'm older. So that's, you know, another <laughs> cross I have to bear. Another fucking barrier. Yes, another, another fucking barrier where I'm not getting any fucking. <laughs> and so I'm older. I'm brown. I have this wonderful Trini accent. And I use a cane. And so now I'm not even approachable. Women don't even think about me in that way anymore. Everybody wants to be my friend. And I have enough friends, like, really. <laughs> you just want to get laid. <laughs> exactly. So, do you... Now I'm now I'm, I'm racking my brain of like how do I get Leslie laid? Who, who who could I connect you with in the queer community who would help you with that? Um, but so as a queer, differently abled senior, like what what do you think? Some of now that you're coming kind of coming into your seniordom, what do you think <laughs> is? <laughs> what do you think is like 
the biggest challenge of being well, the biggest challenge of being queer seniors because we hear so much about the issues of of lack of LGBTQ representation in nursing homes, mm. lack of all that stuff. So you, for you as a queer senior with a little bit of with a little bit more privilege and a little bit more independence right now, what do you think some of the barriers are to being a queer senior, and how do we as a community support queer seniors? Well, just to get back to getting laid, I don't necessarily <laughs> want to get laid. I would like to have some kind of physical intimacy with another woman, another dyke would be lovely. Somebody who is younger than me, somebody I can go out with. Because all my friends my age don't have the energy or, you know, 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night is too late for them I'm to go old, out. Man. I know, I know that. <laughs> Me, 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, I'm in bed, I'm done, I'm finished. So yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. So I have a lot of energy. So if you're in the 45 to 50 age group and you have a good political and race and anti-oppression, anti-colonial <laughs> analysis, feel free to get in touch with me. But the barriers are... You know, as we were talking about sex and disability, you're not viewed as a sexual human being anymore. And intimacy is off the table. Um, Many of us are forced to go to long-term care homes because back in the day we didn't have children. Um, A lot of us didn't know we could have children, even though as a woman my body could have children. But society didn't allow us to have that privilege of having children. So many of us have no children. Many of us, our families have disowned us. So now that we are older, we're on our own. So for me, my support comes from my chosen family. So again, I'm privileged that way to have chosen family. Um, Many of the older gay men that I know don't have anybody who are in their age range anymore because of the AIDS crisis. I don't have any gay male friends who are my age because seven of my gay male friends died in a three-month period. So in that regard, you know, I don't have that support. Um, Also, when you go into a long-term care home, the discrimination you still have to face, the oppression, and many queer seniors are going back into the closet and hiding. And you hear about the suicide rate with queer youth. You're not hearing about the suicide rate with queer seniors. And then we are facing poverty. We are facing homelessness. We're on the brink of, you know, losing everything that we have. So even, for example, I live in a house, but the bank owns two-thirds of the house, so I'm lucky to be living in a house. But it's really hard when I see so many queer seniors who are in long-term care homes hiding their true selves because they're afraid of what's going to happen from the staff and from other residents. And when you do have the opportunity to have any kind of intimacy the one room that's designated in the long-term care home is right next to the front desk. And you have to book that room sometimes a week or two or three weeks in advance. So if you feel like having some afternoon delight (laughs) on a Wednesday, but the room is booked, (laughs) you're SOL. So those are just some of the barriers, Andrew. 
and I, you know, I can relate to a lot of that because here, where I live, it's not long, it's not long-term care, but it's supported housing. So there are people that can come in and out. They have keys to my apartment. I have cultivated a space of privacy to do what I do, but I feel like, and, I, and I, that's why I've loved being your friend because we see we have a lot of the same issues, but from a different vantage point. So you are you're suffering. Suffering, that sounds weird. You're, li- you're, you're dealing with loneliness, and you're dealing with wanting that connection from a senior standpoint, and I'm dealing with the same thing from a, from a younger standpoint. So I think there's a lot of value in disabled queer people and disabled senior mm-hmm. queer people coming together and having conversations like this. Mm-hmm. What is one piece of advice that you would give to disabled youth, disabled queer youth, who maybe from your years from your from your wisdom as an elder in this community how would you what what piece of advice would you give them hmm. um i don't know about wisdom um i was at uh, lavender which is a, a queer and trans women's dance party that used to be held at glad day and it's outgrown the space, so now it's being held at Buddy's. And I met somebody in a workshop. She was doing a workshop called Unpacking uh, Ableism. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, Kate. Hi, Kate Welsh. Kate Hi. Welsh. And uh, she's a lovely young person, and she uses a walker. And I was at Buddy's, and I use a cane. And it was so packed and so crowded that I couldn't even be downstairs because my bottom line is kindness. Please, we need to treat each other with kindness. And I was being pushed and shoved trying to get through the crowd to find a spot. And there were no no seats, uh, no, close to the dance floor. So I went upstairs and I saw Kate come in. I spoke to her about this afterwards. I saw her come in and I saw her struggle to get through the crowd and people were not even moving aside looking down at how people were treating her made me feel really sad and disappointed in this community that we say you know we are here to to live with each other we're not even taking care of each other and when I spoke with Kate about this afterwards she said she found it very frustrating um, one of the things that Lavender did at Buddy's was they set up a space away from the dance floor where you could sit and chat. But when you go out dancing, you want to be close to the dance floor. You want to see who is out there. So that was just one of the things. But anyway, in general, what would I say to younger, queer, disabled people? There's always hope. Um, We need to support each other. If there's anything I can do when I'm out and about in uh, social spaces, I try to be as supportive as possible. But also these spaces have to be more friendly in terms of people with disabilities. And they're not in these social spaces. Yeah. Very few are. I talk, I talk all the time on this show and in, in my work about editing this will be fun later. I talk, <laughs> all, the, I talk all the time about um, access is not just getting in the room. It's about how you feel in the room. Mm-hmm. And if... A disabled person doesn't feel happy or safe in there. You've not made it accessible to them. Mm-hmm. So we, in our community, especially Toronto community, if you're listening, Toronto, I know, 
I know you are. Um, just try harder. Try do better than what you're doing, and try to put yourself mm-hmm. in that situation. And what would you want? You want somebody to pay attention to you, and be nice to you, and be kind. Don't get, don't throw cut eye or shade at me because I'm in the room and mm-hmm. I and I'm in your way. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly. that's what it feels like a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. It's. <laughs> it's interesting that you say katai because that's a term that we use in Trinidad a lot. Katai means you look at the person as if you're taking up my space. You have no right to be here. I just wanted to talk to Andrew about bricks and glitter. So bricks and glitter is an alternative to pride. And I was on the care team this year. And we made a huge effort to make all of our spaces and our events accessible in as many ways as we possibly could. And the Toronto social spaces have to do better. You have to try harder. And my friend Andrew, when he wants to go to Church Street, shouldn't have to be going through the back door or through a dirty alleyway into one of the men's bars on Church Street. I mean, there's only one back door that I want to go through, and it isn't that one. So, <laughs> so yes, no, but I think that accessibility needs to do so much better, and I think that queer seniors also deserve the opportunity to explore these places with accessibility, and so we need to do more, because all these people, all the, and I've said this before on the show, all these club queens at the club that do their thing and go clubbing every Friday and have their groups and do all this stuff, they're going to get old. They're going to get, they're going to become seniors and they're going to still want to go when they're like 60 and they're going to still want to do that. So we need to make these spaces accessible for them now, don't you think? Yeah. And uh, yes, I totally agree with you, Andrew. The other thing to keep in mind, and this is another reason why I say I'm differently abled, it doesn't take much for you to end up being in a chair or using a cane or using a walker. So just think about that. One day you could be Andrew or myself. And as Andrew just pointed out, when you start getting older, how do you want to be treated? So if you are able-bodied now, it's up to the able-bodied people in the world to make sure the world is a kinder place and a better place for everybody. And you know what? I said this at a conference. I said this at a conference a few a few weeks ago, I was talking to a room full of gay men, and I said, you know, you guys have money. Mm. You guys have a shit ton of money. We need to start using that money to make these changes. And starting with queer seniors and queer disabled people, that's where the changes need to come. We're doing all this advocacy around HIV and AIDS and all this stuff, mm. which is very important, of course. But also, we need to put some of that money into disability research, because the way you treat people who are HIV positive mm-hmm. in our community is also how you treat disabled people. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. So we need to do better and talking to disabled queer people and talking to disabled seniors who are also queer about what they want is a great start to do that community. Mm-hmm. I agree, Andrew. I like the point that you made about gay men having money. There's a lot of money out there. And why isn't it used in in a way that's, you know, helpful and supportive? And um, part of the reason that we're doing this podcast is because of YEP, the Youth Elders Project. And we've been trying to have these kinds of conversations between queer youth and queer seniors. 
And queer youth and queer seniors are not generic. No. You know, no. there are queer disabled youth and there are queer disabled seniors. So how are we going to work together? Able-bodied people who have money to support those of us who don't. And how do we, you know, treat each other with kindness, caring, compassion, and dignity? And, you know, we can, we can do it, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. We can do it in a way that is fun and gay and queer we can have drag brunches that all the money goes towards you know accessibility in the village we can have like queer dance parties and all the proceeds go to this kind of stuff there are there there are ways to to put the queer angle on this disability thing that supports everyone in the community Mm -hmm. i agree because right now what i see out there when somebody identifies as being queer for me right away that person is able-bodied because they're not queer people who say they are politically astute and not making the connections, Andrew. They're not looking at the intersectionalities of all the barriers and all the different oppressions that come together and intersect. It's just this when I hear queer and I hear people identify as queer, even people of color who identify as queer are not making the connections and looking at the intersections of our many lives. Definitely, and I think one of the things one of the things that I really like about talking with you is that you have so many intersections, and we and you just want to talk about this stuff, and that's why I love working with you. And you also do a lot of advocacy work, like you do a lot of speaking. And I love seeing you do it because it's another facet of this community that we need to we need to hear from. And so I also want to say that Leslie is available to speak. And everyone should hire her. And I know, I know that a lot of you are listening from the U.S. right now. Hire, <laughs> hire her. She, we need these conversations. There's, there are so many articles coming out of the U.S. about queer seniors right now. And Leslie is a is a powerhouse voice in that community. You should all be hiring her. And I just love this conversation, Leslie. Do you have anything you want to tell the people about you before we go? Um, the, the main thing I want to say, well, two things. The reason people have asked me, why do I name my canes and why do I name my walker? Because we become invisible. You do not see the person when the person is using any kind of mobility device. All you see is the mobility device. That's why it's important for me to say, this is my cane and my cane's name is Robin and we're a package deal. (laughs) And the other thing that I want to say is thank you, Andrew, for having me and thank you for promoting me. And yes, I'm available and you can fly me in to speak. But the bottom line for me is that we need to treat each other with kindness, caring, compassion, and respect. Because one day too, you can be a queer senior and unfortunately, things happen in life and you might end up being a disabled senior or a disabled queer youth. Well, you will end up being a disabled yeah. senior. How, how do we work together and support each other? Thanks again, Andrew. Leslie, this was great. I will make sure that the, that your contact info is on my is on the show notes for the show today. Uh, this has been a in studio impromptu. We were we were not going to record today, and then all of a sudden it started happening. So this is this is an impromptu live recording of Disability After Dark with queer elder 
and my friend Leslie Lee Cam talking all about queerness, seen, being a senior, disability, all those things. It was a great interview, and thank you so much for coming in today, Leslie. You're welcome. Kisses. Bye. <laughs> all right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. My name is, of course, Andrew Gerza, and thank you so much for listening and helping the show go. I really appreciate that you all listen and that you come back every week, and I love doing it, and I love shining a bright light on these topics, so thank you. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com where you'll find my writings, some cool videos I've been in, and you'll see where I've been talking where I've been doing talks, and if you want to hire me to talk, you can do so there as well. If you want to follow me on the social media, you can put in all my handles on Insta, Twitter, and Facebook at TheAndrewGerza. If you want to follow the podcast specifically, you can follow us on Twitter at DisAftDarkPod, or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash DisabilityAfterDark. This show is a completely independent production. I literally record the show here in my bedroom in Toronto, and that's awesome. So if you want to support this fully independent program, you can head over to patreon.com disabilityafterdark, and you can pledge $1 a month to get the show early and get really cool perks like that. And I, I will give you a shout out on the air, and thank you for your support. It would be super awesome if you could also leave a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast so that this show, all about sexuality and disability, something we don't talk about enough, can get more traction and more people can hear about the show. Lastly, if you want to be a part of Disability After Dark, you can submit your suggestions, story ideas, or your minisodes to our email inbox, disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, we'll be back next time, right here on the program Shining a Bright Light on Sex and Disability, Disability After Dark. New episodes of Disability After Dark will be available every Thursday on your favorite podcast app. Also available to Patreon subscribers one day early on every Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations, with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2019